Welcome to the Gym Session, brought to you by Sportsmate Mobile and Footy Live. It's time to chat all things football with your host, Jimmy Sabo. Hello and welcome to another Gym Sesh. I am Jimmy Sabo and I'm glad you could join me here wherever you may be listening, uh, from bedrooms to bathrooms to the uh, four-hour line waiting for a COVID test in Victoria. I can't thank you enough for tuning in. Um, we've had the likes of Rowan Connolly and Matt DeBoer on the podcast before, but this week I'm even more excited as we've locked in the tactical genius as our special guest today. And no, it's not Sam Newman. I'm still working on securing that big fish in the coming weeks. But what this man lacks in fame, I guess you could call it, he makes up in intelligence. One of the smartest footy people there is in the universe and he's going to give us a lesson in footy tactics very, very soon. Uh, we'll get to your tweets and emails, as always, uh, some of my controversial opinions, and I'll give you a few short things to look out for this weekend. But first, let's find out what happened in round six with our wonderful recap. Yes, Jimmy! After Thursday night's episode, Sam became the most popular Simpson in the town of Spring... I mean, Geelong. His 27 disposals and 6 marks helped the Cats turn their lives into goals, kicking 9 in a row to record the 27-point comeback win. Even Ablett picked up a couple of LBWs. Long goal before win. Nice one, Gary. Sicily saw more action on Friday night than during an Italian summer, although his tour around the back line didn't help the scoreboard. The Pies may nard have Jordan, but they treated this game like their last dance. They wanted it more, finally showed off their big cocks, and the Adams family... Trelaw and Taylor combined for 57 disposals to help record a six-goal win. Just in, Longmuir's six-goal comeback was absolutely ace. After losing their Sean Thing and the young kid before half-time, the Dockers looked sunk. But with the coach chucking everything on the tabina, not even a king could overrule the decision to win the game by six points. Luckily for the Saints, it's over now. For Ratton, it's nothing but a bad memory. Hold the phone, shouted Nick Nat as he handed a brand new Samsung to Riley O'Brien after his early crow of the Eagles Ruckman being unfit and lazy proved to be a gaff. What a twit. I mean, tweet. The 33-point win for the Eagles swiftly sent Matthew Nix and the Adelaide team back to camp. I mean, their hub. We can't use the C word around the crows anymore. Finally, a good win for Melbourne, as their Petraka record is mending slightly. They don't look gone, and Oliver's twist in the middle got him 24 disposals. The Suns also learned a valuable lesson. Get out of harm's way. Even after Gold Coast lost by 17 points, the biggest talking point created from this game was about ranking the best ever debutants. Imagine if they won. Exactly. North are getting worse than my puns, as the side who look like sure things are looking more like Reese Plumbers, unable to stop the leaking of goals. Brews weren't able to solve the Ridley, and the Bombers left Snelling good. The 14-point win is sure to make a hooker happy. You wouldn't believe it, but the Dons are sitting fourth with a game in hand. Sorry, hand. Is this real life, or just a fantasia? Sunday fun day didn't see much fun, although Port's cane became the most famous feral since Will and Colin. The power recorded a giant 17-point win and allowed Ken Hinckley to let loose. The coach showing emotions? Aim on to that. Tigers fans couldn't help but shout once again that they loved their Lambert. He was a star in grimesy conditions while the Swans set up their natural habitat by flooding in the wet. It wasn't enough to survive though, losing by 8 and they'll now need more than a rampy to make it up the ladder. Sunday Blues made us cry of joy as Carlton and the Dogs played out a high-scoring classic. Jack was like a Nunes man, Teague placed bets in good positions, and Matthew's performance would probably convince fans to vote Kennedy for president. Nine Schmackers was the final winning margin over the Dogs, 
who are reminded how much they need Marvel Stadium to play fast footy. Roof, roof. Another weekend of brilliant moments and shocking tips and shocking puns. And I couldn't pick my nose on the weekend. Uh, but it's a good thing. You know, unpredictable games are often the most entertaining, uh, I guess. All right, we're going to waste no time in getting to our first guest today. And with no disrespect to any of our previous professionals we've had on the podcast, I don't think I've ever been more excited than I am now to speak to a special guest. Honestly, this guy's a footy genius. He's a former opposition analyst and strategy coach, worked with North Melbourne, Geelong, Adelaide, and most recently Essendon. He's known as the Monday Mechanic on SEM with Bob and Andy, but today he'll be our Tuesday teacher. It's the one and only Mr. Rob Harding. Welcome, Rob. Thanks so much for uh, having a chat, mate. Beautiful intro. Thanks very much for having me. I really appreciate it. No worries. So what does the life in uh, lockdown look like for Rob Harding? What's occupying your time during this period? Yeah, it's obviously a difficult period for everyone, isn't it, at the moment? Uh, I've been spending a fair bit of time studying, so I'm doing a bit of work in the fitness space just to uh, add another skill set to the coaching stuff that I've done previously, um, and also obviously keeping up with uh, all the, the footy trends at the moment. So uh, lockdown does give you a great opportunity to watch a fair bit of footy. Uh, not that I've needed any excuse over the last 12 years, but uh, certainly able to watch every game and do a fair bit of work for that. And as you mentioned, doing a bit of media stuff as well, which I'm really enjoying. Great. What about the guitar? I heard you you're giving that a crack too. Yeah, the guitar's taking a little backseat at the moment. I, I got a puppy about six weeks ago, and yeah. the puppy's taking all my attention at the moment. And um, I fear that if I bring the guitar out in front of the puppy, he's going to chew on it, which would be disappointing to lose the guitar and also disappointing that it would probably make a better sound than I can with it. So <laughs> uh, we just have to live with that. There you go. Um, can you explain your journey um, to landing a position in the in the AFL industry? How did, how did that come about? Yeah, so I've got a bit of a different background from a lot of people. I had to stop playing at a pretty young age due to injury. I hurt a hip pretty badly when I was 15 and had to give the game away. And drifted away from footy for a few years, uh, went and did some study, and then found myself uh, working in the media for a little bit, producing radio shows. And through that, I got to know Nathan Thompson, who was playing at North Melbourne at the time. He was a guest host on a show that I was producing. And uh, he told me about a job one day looking after stats and video at North Melbourne. And uh, I went for that job, was fortunate enough to get it, and that really gave me my intro into the AFL industry. From there, uh, I had the opportunity to start doing some opposition scouting uh, after the previous opposition analyst left to go to Richmond from North Melbourne. So that gave me a chance in 2010. That was the first opportunity I had to do opposition scouting, and that was an area that I was interested in when I I saw it happening firsthand uh, before I started doing it. I really just loved it. It it fit my skill set pretty well. I've got an analytical brain, so I've got a pretty good footy brain, and was able to sort of combine it all together and, and head down that path. Yeah, brilliant. And how old were you when you when you first got that job at North Melbourne? Uh, I would have been 22, I think it was. Oh, yeah. yeah, nice. So what does an, an average week look like for an opposition or strategy coach, like a Monday to Friday? What, what sort of things are you doing around the club? Yeah, it's a constant balance between the current week and the next week. So um, from, say, a Monday, I would be finishing up uh, the scouting for this week game. So... Let's say that this week the club I was at was playing Hawthorne. Uh, I would finish off on a Monday watching probably the, the last of the vision, compiling together my report. So I'd come up with about a 30 or 40 slide presentation for the coaches. And we drill that down to about a five-slide presentation for the players for later in the week. Uh, we'd sit down on, say, a Tuesday. I'd take the coaches, the rest of the coaching staff through um, probably 15 minutes worth of vision, all the key points they need to know for the week, including the clips I'm going to show the players later on in the week. Any information that was relevant around the team, the style of play, what they like to do in certain circumstances, how they're going to set up from a stoppage perspective, and what to watch out for for each of the coaches for their lines. 
Um, obviously, the assistant coaches watch a bit of footy, but don't get to watch it in the detail that um, an opposition strategy coach does. So I would uh, make sure we've detailed that with the coaches, present to the players on, say, a Wednesday. And then from Thursday, which would be the day off, I would start looking at the next week's games. So the back end of the week, that sort of Thursday, Friday, into a game day on a Saturday, you've got part of your head in the next week's opponent and part of your head in this week's opponent to make sure we get the, the job done this week. So... It's constantly throughout the season just finding that balance between this week and the next week. And you mentioned you, you, you work for North and I believe you went to Geelong, Adelaide and then most recently Essendon. Which would you say was your most enjoyable? It's, it's hard to split them because they all had different things that, that I really liked. Um, North Melbourne obviously was my first job out of it. We had a pretty young staff. Uh, I've got lifelong friends out of working at North Melbourne. Geelong, I was fortunate enough to be there for a premiership in 2011. So that's you know the highlight of anyone's career when you get to experience that sort of feeling of winning an AFL premiership or being part of it. Um, Adelaide was the club I spent the longest at, so five years at the Crows, and we went through some real heartbreak there. You know, we had Dean Bailey pass away in 2014 and Phil Walsh pass away in 2015. And the period between 2012, 13, 14, when um, prior to when Bales passed, when it was Brenton Sanders as the coach, Mark Bickley, Scott Camparelli, Darren Milburn, Bales and I were the, the big part of the coaching staff, and... We were all really close. We got on well. We loved working together. And I still speak to those guys um, regularly. Uh, I still think about Bales probably every every day or every second day. Um, he's an important person in my life. And um, you know, I love those guys. They're like brothers. And um, I really loved my time um, working there at the Crows, particularly that little period there. Um, and Essendon, I met some great people as well. And some fantastic players that were great fun to work with and whose progress I'll follow. Um, into the future. So I can't split them up. They all had their great points, but um, the little period at Adelaide, the 12, 13, 14 was probably my favourite. Yeah, no, that's great. And yet, obviously, during that time, you worked for a few different interesting and um, professional head coaches. Who, who would you say is the most difficult to, to work under? <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough question to answer. <laughs> they all had their um, idiosyncrasies. And I think the big part working with any senior coach is finding the best way to communicate with them and what level of information they need and how they need it delivered to them. Mm-hmm. And these guys are dealing with an incredible volume and breadth of information on a daily basis. Um, they're being talked to about things from membership and marketing to media um, through to everything to do with coaching, high performance, um, psychologists, doctors. You know, they're dealing with everyone. It's the biggest management job within a football club and the most high pressure. So... Um, you have to communicate with them differently. How I communicated with Dean Laidley at North Melbourne was different to how I communicated with Brad Scott. How I communicated with Brenton Sanderson was different to how I communicated with Phil Walsh or Don Pike at Adelaide. So um, there's a lot of differences. Walsh was a funny one. Like He came in and his mentality was, if someone's not good enough at their job, then I'll just do their job for them. He was a real workaholic and um, that was his attitude. You had to really earn his trust. And uh, I was really fortunate and grateful that I did earn his trust. Um, reasonably quickly mm-hmm. um, we saw the game pretty similar which was nice and um, you know some of the conversations we had in the weeks before he passed away um, about where I was at and, and my future and, and what he would do to help me going forward um, were things that meant a lot to me so um, none of them more difficult than the others you have to find the best way to communicate with them mm. you, you just mentioned before earning earning trust was it harder for you because you didn't play AFL um, in the past or was that never never talked about or you never thought that anyone held that opinion that you wouldn't know what you were doing? I think that people would hold that opinion potentially with me until they heard me start to speak about the game and I think I did have to maybe work a little bit harder to earn their trust 
I, I sort of took it as you could view that as a negative that you might get looked at differently because you didn't play at the highest level. Um, one thing I was really clear on was I've never spoken to a player or a coach who professed to know what it's like to be out there. Um, if you want to get a, a great opinion on what it was like to play 300 AFL games, then go and speak to a 300 AFL game player. Um, my weapon, so to speak, was that I've watched and been involved and analysed more games than just about anyone in the industry over the last 10 years. Um, that's what I hang my hat on. So I never tried to be anything that I wasn't. And um, that, I think, made it easier to earn trust um, with people. The other side of it that I liked and the mentality I took was that if I've had to work harder to earn people's trust, if I'm really bad at my job or I say something completely ridiculous, I'll lose that trust quick. I don't have any credits in the bank. Um, a 300 gamer could make a few wrong calls and probably get more latitude than I'm going to get. So it kept me sharp and focused and on my toes and I took that as a positive I had to be really accurate all the time there's no room for mistakes um, and that was the mentality I've always had um, with my scouting and that's why I, I put so much time into it um, and I think that worked well for me in the end you've obviously uh, seen this is the last one on, on your past before we get to today's footy but you've obviously seen a fair few things behind the scenes that an average footy fan probably wouldn't be privy to are there any insightful or funny stories you could you could share about the inner sanctum of, of, of the footy club I think um, look over the four clubs and, and the last 12 years I've seen I think just about everything that you can <laughs> see inside a, a coach's box or yeah. um, inside a footy club but, and being involved again at local level in recent years, um, my local club, it, it reminded me that it's really not too dissimilar. Like AFL level is the, Phil Walsh called it the Formula One of footy, you know, it's the best of the best in the elite. But at the end of the day, it's still um, people coming together with a common goal, um, people trying to get the best out of themselves and trying to enjoy the journey doing it and trying to be successful um, along the way. So, um, there's elements that you would come into an AFL club and it would just look like your local um, footy club. Um, guys banter in the rooms, guys putting up a funny video or pictures in a meeting or something like that. Uh, that's the stuff that um, makes footy clubs great at any level and it's the same at AFL level. So um, that's one of the things I love about the most, that AFL clubs are fully professional and fully serious but there's still a time to have fun and those are the best environments. Yeah, nice. Uh, you're, so let's get to, to today's uh, state of the game. And you've obviously had a few opinions on this I've seen um, previously, and uh, especially the holding the ball interpretation. So what is your current opinion on the state of the game and the new holding the ball interpretation that's been brought in uh, over the past week? Yeah, I think in terms of the holding the ball, uh, there's been a real um, issue with the difference between what Alistair Clarkson spoke about two weeks ago and what's actually been implemented. Clarko spoke about incorrect disposal. So a player's got the ball in time and space, had prior opportunity, could have kicked, could have handballed, chose not to, gets tackled, the ball spills out and we just let that play on. Um, as opposed to the ones where a player grabs the ball or gets handballed the ball, is tackled immediately and just wrapped up. And the area that has been focused on in recent weeks is um, not making enough attempt or not no genuine attempt to get rid of the ball. Um, I don't think that's an area that we should focus on too much. And for the reason being that the player who has the ball should be given priority at all times. So if you've got the ball and you haven't had prior opportunity, I'd be happy to see that just pay the ball up. Um, if your player's had prior opportunity and then gets tackled and don't, doesn't dispose of the ball properly, that should be holding the ball. And that's where we can reward the tackler. Uh, for me, rewarding the tackler should be the second part um, to uh, rewarding the ball, looking after the ball carrier first. 
I mean, in terms of the general state of the game, we clearly have a, a more defensive focus over the last 10 years. Um, there's been evolutions of the defensive press that have taken the game in that direction. I think we need to encourage more offence and more creativity in the game. I'm on record as saying that I think there should be a bonus point for scores over 100 when we go back to 20-minute quarters and a normal season. You saw the way Carlton attacked um, the other night when they just ticked over the 100 in short quarters, which is a great effort. Um, but it'd be great to see teams take the game on more. We need to find ways to reward that. And I feel that the media and the football industry has a responsibility as well to um, judge coaches harsher on not implementing attacking game plans. Mm-hmm. And too often it's easy to criticise a coach and the last thing you want to be labelled as as a coach is not um, having a, a strong defensive philosophy. That's the easiest thing to tag a coach with um, and something that's hard for them to shake. We should be encouraging them to have a balance between attack and defence. I don't think there's rule changes too much that will create offence. I think we've had a problem in the last 10 years where we've tried to change rules to create a certain style of game. It just doesn't happen that way. It has to be a philosophical um, thing from club land and from coaches in particular. Mm. And just on the, on the way that the game does look recently, do you think that would be more appealing if... Because um, I read a report recently that the theory was that the way the game is broadcast and the different camera angles used, that's the explanation for the you know so-called ugliness of the game. You've obviously seen every camera angle you know possible over your time. Uh, do you think different camera angles would make it more appealing, even if it was a defensive uh, sort of game? It's a great question, James. I, I have thought about this a bit across the journey, and I did say it referenced um, last week. There's certainly... When you see the game broadcast only on TV and it's shot real tight, and particularly this year, and I don't know if it's been a directive or not, but it certainly feels like it's been shot tighter this year to take away the background shot of there being no crowd for a lot of the games. Um, That makes it look more congested and makes it look a lot uglier. Uh, I'd certainly, as a viewer and someone that loves the game, I'd love to see them pull the camera back a little bit and show a bit more from behind the goals. From a coach perspective, 90% of what you educate the players with is behind goals footage because it allows you to see the full ground, see the spacing and see the movement as it unfolds. Um, coaching has got better at coaching off-the-ball decisions, whether that's in attack or defence, and that's what's allowed the team defence um, to evolve so much and to be so well-drilled. Um, I think the way the game is shot does have a, a real impact on the way that people perceive it. Um, it's always very different when you go and watch it live. And I encourage people when we are allowed to go back to watching games live, go to a game and sit up behind the goals and watch it and look at the spacing between players and that's that's how clubs view it. Yeah. Um, and it's really important. You recently, I was really interested when you when you were talking about this, you recently debunked the theory that kicking backwards resulted in lower scores or that boring footy. And, uh, you know, because of these these boring games that have happened, people have called for, you know, play on when it's kicked backwards or 16 versus 16. Can you explain the theory that kicking backwards actually doesn't result in lower scores? Yeah, it was an interesting one. I think when the, the discussion quickly came up about kicking backwards, I've spent a long time inside footy clubs and you're not really allowed to comment too much on things that are said publicly and you don't want to create any issues. We've seen in the last few days with Damien Hardwick and John Longmire what happens when coaches can comment about opposition clubs or anything like that. So I'm fortunate in a position at the moment where I'm not beholden to a club, I'm not beholden to the AFL or the players' union or the coaches' union or any other union. I'm just allowed to say whatever I like. And when I saw the... Um, the decision or the, the suggestion that we should ban uh, kicks backwards or not pay marks for kicks backwards. Uh, the thing about that is that it, it's one mechanism the attacking team can use to open up the ground. At the time that it was brought up, 
the three top teams for kicking the ball backwards were three of the top five for scoring. And the reason for that is they like to shift the angle of play and get away from the density. So Port Adelaide playing with Geelong will switch or shift back inside 45 um, and then bring the ball um, through the more dangerous part of the ground or through more space in the ground. Um, so it's really important that we don't legislate things that take away offensive mechanisms um, at all. Yeah. And I, I was yeah, I was a shocked when you, with the numbers when you brought that up as well that the yeah the highest scoring teams are actually the the ones uh, kicking backwards the most. Um, it, the last two for you, just particularly on the weekend, can we have a tactical look at how and why the best and the worst games this weekend were won and lost? So if we go Richmond and Swans first, that was the, the most boring. I'd, I'd say or the worst game of the weekend, and then Carlton versus Bulldog. Can you explain why they were won and lost? We'll be back after a quick break. So the Richmond-Sydney game was an interesting game tactically, not an exciting game, not one that anyone's going to go and uh, out and order or watch back. It's not going to pop up on Fox footy in five years' time as one of the greats. But what happened a lot in that game was that Richmond traditionally will bring a forward up to their stoppages. So what they like to do is bring Kane Lambert up as a forward. He'll sit um, generally at the back of the stoppage, so behind the rucks and a throw-in. And Dustin Martin from the front as a midfielder will just spit forward. Um, so it's a way of getting Dusty away from his tag. He's obviously really dangerous when he runs forward. Um, and Richmond, in general, play like to bring their high half forwards right up the ground, turn you around and race you back, because that's their real strength. They've got the best running team across the AFL, the best running profile across the AFL. So Sydney decided we're not going to follow up Lambert or whoever it is as that extra forward. We're going to sit back and hold our, our back six. What they decided to do was um, bring their... Fat side winger, so the winger on the corridor side came in and he picked up that Richmond forward. That left a Richmond wingman way out in space in the corridor and Sydney sent a forward up to pick him up. So that meant that there was a free Sydney defender at one end and a free Richmond defender at the other end. And that's primarily how the game was played for the first three quarters. What Sydney also have done traditionally very well and did well again um, on Sunday was their midfield got back to support really well. So you had this mix where the Sydney midfield's getting back to supporting defence, the Richmond half-forwards are getting up the ground, so there's a bit of a crossover there, and Sydney are ending up with one, two, three spare defenders dropping off their men, handing them over to midfielders, essentially, for Sydney, and then sitting behind the ball. So suddenly we've got um, three extra Sydney players behind the ball, and Richmond are just getting those repeat entries where they're kicking it back into lots of numbers. So that's what made for such an ugly game. At three-quarter time, um, Dimmer dropped the sixth forward coming up, pulled his six forwards back a bit more, tried to keep even numbers, but still those Sydney midfielders were getting back, picking up a high half forward for Richmond and allowing Mills or Lloyd to drop off and create that plus one or plus two behind the ball. So that was the tactical explanation for what was happening a lot in that game. And I, I do feel for both teams in that with the training that they're allowed to do at the moment, they're only allowed one session a week where you can do contact and work as a full group. And that will mean that 
that one session will be more of a match play or a tackling practice or more of a physical session. I don't think they're getting a lot of opportunities to move the ball as an 18 against even just, say, eight defenders, um, just to practice some decision-making, some timing of your movement across the three lines. They're doing a lot of work, obviously, in their small groups of eight, which is for health reasons and absolutely necessary, but it does create an offensive um, flow and effect, I think. A a lot of teams are struggling with offensive connection as a result. Yeah, and the, the the Carlton Bulldogs game, which was the probably the most exciting or appealing game of the, of the weekend. Yeah, really enjoyable game to watch the Carlton Bulldogs game. I know the score blew out a little bit in the last quarter. There were six goals to nothing maybe in the last quarter. But I thought what Carlton did really well is as soon as the ball left the air, they were really active. You could see they were up and about right from the start of the game. They really dominated from centre bounce. I think they were 5-1 centre bounce in the first quarter, which gave them really good field position and got them rolling for the day. But from ball movement's ball movement perspective, what they really did well is they pulled the trigger on those kicks on the 45 back inside, and um, knowing a bit about David Teague, having worked with him at Adelaide and get on well with him, he's, he, he does like to bring the forwards up and then create that sort of paddock out the back and reset back into space, and um, I thought they did that really well um, throughout the game, so when you see you know, Levi Casbolt, who's not an elite kick by any means, but takes an inset mark at half-back, looks inside, pulls the trigger, um, they get the overlap handballs coming from behind, and I think that, that instance, Mitch McGovern ended up kicking a goal from just inside 50. Uh, it was really, really good good play to watch. And uh, I really like where Carlton's going. I said it on a lot on radio um, earlier this week. Uh, I'm a big fan of the way that they've built this list, Carlton, and the way they're playing. And if we can get more teams that are taking the game on and playing with that mentality, um, then it'll be better for the league. Mm, yeah, brilliant. And just the last one um, from me, Rob. The, for the average footy fan who would like to to start learning more about the tactical side of the game or that, those kind of things. What sort of themes and details can we look out for in this Thursday's game um, between the Cats and the Pies? So a lot of what I do, um, whether I'm watching a game off TV or particularly if I'm watching behind goals footage or even I've done it when I've gone and watched you know, local footy as well, um, I'm always looking to see where the number distribution is. So looking to see if there's an extra coming up to a stoppage or an extra sitting behind the ball, how that's being generated and then what the flow and effects are. So... Um, for me, that's my starting point in any game to look at how the numbers are being um, distributed. Collingwood generally like to hold their six forwards ahead of the ball, so we know that Geelong are a really good intercepting defence. Um, I reckon Collingwood will hold their six forwards back, try and keep it really accountable. At the other end, Geelong can be a, a little bit more flexible with what they do with their forwards. Um, they may bring an extra up at the stoppage at times, just depending on how the game's going. Um, but what you're looking for is... When you're watching it just as a neutral, I'd be looking for what teams are, are trying to do and whether they're actually able to execute it. So we know that Collingwood last week against Hawthorne were a little bit more direct with the ball. They Against Essendon the previous week, they went a bit more sideways backwards. They're a high-possession team in general, but they were going a bit more sideways. Against Hawthorne, you saw them take the ball forward a bit more aggressively. The challenge will be if Collingwood's forwards get lost too far up the ground and Collingwood are trying to take the ball forward and they're kicking to... Blitzhav's dropping off or a Taylor dropping off the intercept, uh, that's giving Geelong exactly what they want. So I think that's one of the core elements we need to watch for um, in this week's game. Yeah, brilliant. I need a tip for this one. Also because my mate, he is leading the tipping uh, by one over me and he goes for the pies, so he's definitely tipping the pies. Is there any <laughs> chance the Cats are going to win this one? I can get one over him? It's a 50-50 <laughs> bet this one. It's a real 50-50 game. So you can take the Cats with um, as much confidence as you'd be taking the pies with. This year is the hardest year to pick. I mean, yeah. the, the, the results have been incredible. Um, we obviously have the issue with neutral grounds as well and how teams are handling that. I think Geelong is one team that have gone 
a little bit under the radar at the moment. You know, they've historically been very good for the, the 23 weeks of the 22-round home and away season, and then they've struggled a bit in finals in recent years. A slightly shorter season with a mature group that knows how they're playing all on the same page, it might benefit them in the long run. They haven't had to travel too much yet until now that they're in the, at the game in Sydney and now they're in the hub um, in Perth. I think Geelong might end up being a team that comes pretty good through the back half of this year. Yeah, nice. That's good enough for me. I'm tipping the Cats. Thanks, Rob. Um, <laughs> on, the, on the podcast, mate, before I let you go, we like to know a little bit more about the personalities of our guests. So do you mind if we end with uh, 10 quick questions about yourself? Yep, go for it. All right, beautiful. All right, your favourite food? Uh, chocolate. A massive chocolate head. Yep, <laughs> love it. Favourite movie? Goodfellas. Yes, that, yes, brilliant. That's yep. my second. Godfather's number one, Goodfellas second. Love it. Perfect. Um, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Anywhere that you could go outside a bit more freely at the moment would be nice, but um, I, do like, um, I do like New York. I'm a big fan oh, of New York. Nice. Uh, beach or the bush? Beach for me. Mm-hmm. Are you a morning or a night person? More, a morning person now. I was always a night person. The last couple of years, I've become a morning person. But having a puppy that likes to wake me up at you know five thirty six a.m. is probably contributing to that as well. <laughs> yeah, was that mostly you working for coaching as well? Were you staying up late and doing that stuff, or was that all during the day? Yeah, a little bit more of um, staying up late with that. Yeah, particularly when you, you have a game say on a Friday night, you get home at eleven thirty, mm. quarter to twelve, you're still wide awake. Yeah, um, you've probably had too many coffees and, and too many lollies in the coach's box and. We'd sit down and review the first half of the game and go to bed at 2 or 3 in the morning. So I um, was more of a night person yeah. then, but more of a morning person now. Yeah. Uh, what is your dream job? Dream job? I love, obviously, I've got the collection of guitars. Um, if I could play the guitar um, professionally, that would be great. If I could sing, which I can't, um, <laughs> that would be nice to go with it. But, yeah, I, I would love to be a musician. Yeah. Uh, who's the favourite player you, you've worked with? Maybe it's home. Oh, it's hard to narrow it down. It's, there's plenty across the clubs, but I'll, I'll, I'll narrow it down to Essendon, where yeah. I was most recently. Yeah. Horatio um, Fantasia. Yeah. Um, just a just a lovely, lovely person. Just a beautiful, beautiful person, and you know, a great footballer, but more importantly, a great guy. Um, the sort of guy that shows great care and empathy for all his teammates. Um, very genuine person, and yeah, I really like Horatio. I spent a lot of time with him and Sean McKern at Essendon as well, who I spent time with at Adelaide. Uh, pretty close to as well. Yeah, awesome. Are you a phone call or a text person? More a text person, I reckon. Yep. Yeah, it's just looking at different texts to people and more and more now WhatsApp, yep. a lot on the WhatsApp groups. So, um, yeah, more that. Nice. Uh, Maccas or Hungry Jacks? Hungry Jacks. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Well, what's the go-to meal? I haven't had it for a while, but I'm more just a classic sort of Whopper, you sort of Whopper meal, but I always like the Hungry Jacks fries. That was what really yeah. got me over the line, a bit extra salt in them. So nice. I love it. Yeah, I love fries. So. <laughs> nice. I asked Ron Connolly. I asked Ron Connolly the same question last week, and he went hungry. Jackson, he went the Whopper as well. There you yeah. go. Yep. <laughs> uh, who inspires you? Oh, look, I I like so I really like music outside of footy, and um, I'm a big Bruce Springsteen fan. Mm. And um, I found I, I, sort of, I love his music, but when you hear him speak about different things and his his mindset, his mentality, and sort of where he got his inspiration from and his creativity from, um, I, I found that quite inspiring for me as well. So uh, a lot of his music is about telling a story and um, he can tell probably stories about your own life better than you can tell them. That's the why he's such a genius. Um, but a bit of, I re- tried to relate it back to what I've done with a footy sense and that, a bit of that is telling a story as well about how a team's going to play or what we're trying to do or what's the journey that we're on as a group. That's a bit of what coaching is. It's yeah. storytelling and 
um, providing that inspiration and, and creating that common goal and um, getting everyone to buy into it. So, yeah, that's, um, that's where I sort of really like um, Bruce's music and, yeah, I find that quite inspirational. Yeah, brilliant. Oh, that was awesome, Rob. Uh, thanks for giving us a real great insight into the uh, into the mind of a tactical genius and uh, a real taste of how we can view the game in a different light. So I really can't thank you enough, mate. Uh, yeah, thanks for joining us today. Awesome. Thanks, James. Appreciate the chat. All right, mate. I'll uh, chat soon. Thank you. So there you go, Rob Harding. What a, what a chat. I loved it. I was very excited. I might have sounded a little bit starstruck there, but I was excited to have a coach and an and opposition analyst here to, to explain the tactics and what he does um, to get a better look on the game and, and what we should be looking out for was, was fantastic. My, You know, my dream when I was younger, I always dreamed of being a footy player, like obviously like so many of us, and thought if I couldn't do that, I dreamed of being a coach. And if I couldn't do that, uh, then I guess I dreamed to, you know, have my own podcast called The Gym Session and sit in my study with a mic during lockdown and talk to people who actually succeeded. So there you go. Both of us live in the dream. Um Someone else who's living the dream at the moment is uh, Pies Fanatic Frankie, who emailed in again. Uh, he emailed to james.sabo at sportsmatemobile.com. Uh, we'll get through all the tweets and emails now. Hi, James. Another week, another gym session. I absolutely love featuring on your show. This week, mate, I want an apology to myself and Bucks for the ridiculous stat you used last week in an attempt to derail us. As I said, the greatest club in the land was too good. Uh, 1990, 2010, 2020. This year is a lock for us. Also, your thoughts on your mate, on your mate Dimmer's comment. I see it as frustration from him more than an accurate assessment. It's simple. If he doesn't pull an extra man on the ball, then there is a loose opposition players in the defensive half. As always, I am waiting in much anticipation to listen in again to the best hour of the week. Thank you, Frankie. That means a lot. Um, I love when you call me out because I was wrong, and I will apologize. Okay, I said, well, I wasn't wrong about the stat. It was 12-1 in Clarko's favor against Bucks, and uh, I dipped, did tip the Hawks stupidly. Um, looking back in hindsight, that wasn't a great tip. Um, I apologize to you, Frankie, because you did say that Collingwood would win, and uh, you were right. Um, they outclassed the Hawks, um, and I apologize to you and Bucks for that tip. Um, 1990-2010-2020, you missed 2000 if you're going in lots of 10. Um, So we'll see if it happens, if it does happen um, this year for the Pies. They look look impressive, I'll give you that. Um, My thoughts on Dimmer's comment, well, obviously talking to Rob Harding before kind of sums up what happened in the Richmond game. And uh, his comments are obviously from frustration. And you would be, when you're trying to win a game or trying to to play a certain style and the opposition isn't allowing you. I mean, it's obviously frustrating. And I like to see frustration. Well, frustration. I like to see emotions from the coach. I like them to be honest. You don't want to go there and just say, you know, your standard lines and whatnot. But in the same time, what does he, what does he want John Longmire to do? I mean, he's not, <laughs> like you said, I'm not going to knock on the door and say, hey, Demma, what do you want me to do today, mate? Hey, how do you want to play? No, he's going to do what he, what he can to try and win the game. And uh, it wasn't a fantastic game um, to watch for the neutral, especially. But uh, look, I was I was enthralled in the game because I was a Richmond fan, and I, and I know Sydney fans. I don't think they would have wanted their team to play a different way because this gave them the best opportunity um, to win the game. And as as there's a kid yelling outside, I mean, this is the joys of working from the study. Um, I wouldn't have changed anything from a Sydney point of view. They've got they are they are so depleted with injuries, and that's the way they needed to play for a chance to win the game. And they nearly did. 
And yeah, I'm guessing that you think that the Pies will win this week, Frankie. Um, and look, I'm going to say Geelong. So I'll apologise to you next week on the on the podcast if if uh, if the Pies get the win. But I'm tipping Geelong. Um, Cody, he tweeted in at hashtag the gym session. Great podcast. Want to get your thoughts on Hawthorne's aging list and how you think their two debutants did on the weekend? All right, first off about Hawthorne. Um, last week, Friday's loss has been blown up. Okay, they they are three and three, and they've played five of the top six teams from last year. Um, but I think it's the way that they've played that's that's um, more important than the results. I guess you know three and three, that's great. They would have taken that as hard of the year, I reckon. When you look at that, when you look at that fixture, if they knew who they were going to play, you'd go three and three. Yeah, that's okay. That's probably where they're at. Um, but in saying that, the way they've played has been really, really disappointing, and the aging list has been a talking point for a long time. Now, when you when you score 27 points, which is the lowest score in 45 years, you're going to get a lot of criticism. Okay, so fin- like finishing 9th, 10th, and 8th, and maybe finishing 8th and losing a final, that sort of, that's useless. Okay, that doesn't get your draft picks. It's, it's, it's basically irrelevant. You, want, you don't want to be doing that. So in 2004, 2005, 2006, and 2007, those were the years, in my opinion, that won... Hawthorne the premierships, and that's because they drafted the likes of Roughhead, Franklin, Lewis, Birchall, Rioli. That sets up a premiership. Now, they've had no top 30 draft picks under Clarko in the years of 2009, 2011, 2014, 2016, 2017, and 2018. So they've got two in the top 30 draft picks in 2019. So they're just topping up players. Like, the tactics of just topping up and getting immediate success instead of looking at the future, I think it's starting to... Um, they're starting to, to slide now and you're seeing the results like the, the Hawks haven't had a top 10 selection since they took Mitchell Thorpe in 2006 right so I don't know if this is the way if this is the way to go and now you can you can try and beat the house you can try and go to the casino every week and try and beat the house but in the long term the house always wins and that's been my opinion for a while I don't think they're in a bad as bad a place as what people are saying but I still think they, they do need to um, rebuild. I think Clarko needs to look in a different direction. Now, jo- even Jordan Lewis, who was at the Hawks and he's played a lot of seasons under under Clarko, he, he came out with interesting comments yesterday. I think it was yesterday morning. And he, he's under the opinion that they need to look down the path of maybe we need to start rebuilding. Maybe the next three years are about bringing in youth, getting rid of the old the old boys, and, and maybe that's a decision they need to make and, and Clarko might not be the man who wants to do that rebuild? He might have to leave it to someone like Sam Mitchell, who's sitting there waiting. They need to bring in. I mean, when you're topping up these plays, it's great that you think, well, look, they're not. They're not. Some of them aren't that old, and some of them are going to be there for a while. But you're taking away a position from a younger player that can that can come in and gain experience and and shoot for the long term. So, yeah, even even um, Gary Bacanara, who's who's uh, he's been very vocal recently. He thinks it's time to. Um, uh, to definitely start the rebuild for the Hawks, and I'm in the same opinion, actually. So I don't think there's any point in trying to just stay competitive and finish at the bottom of the eighth or just outside of it because you're not getting any draft picks and you're not building for the future. Um, in terms of debutants, yeah, I liked, I liked Will Day. Um, he had 16 possessions, 10 kicks, went at 81% efficiency. I thought he looked classy and, and composed for a first gamer. Obviously not the best first gamer of the weekend, but I think uh, I think he was impressive. Had I think three score involvements. I liked him a lot. Uh, would like to see more of Josh Morris, but uh, you know you're playing your first game against quality opposition. Not every player 
um, in their first game can make an impact like some of the ones we saw on the weekend. Um, Will Day, I think, I think he's a, he's a star for sure. Next tweet. Hey James, uh, this is from uh, Nathan Weller. Hey James, would be interested in your opinion about this. Charlie Cameron is willing to move to Melbourne for a better deal. I've heard rumours he thinks he is worth eight hundred and fifty grand a season. Thoughts on that, and uh, what do you think he is worth? Well, um, yeah, there's been a heap of chatter about Charlie Cameron, who was set. If you can't pen a deal that he likes at Brisbane, he wants to go down to to Victoria, and uh, I think Carlton were were in the were in the box seat for this. And I think they were the front runners um, in trying to lure lure him down here. Um, what do I think he's worth? He's a star, isn't he? I mean, he kicked what he kicked fifty-seven goals last year. Um, All Australian. He can he can win a game off his own boot. Now it's hard to it's hard to pick up those players. And I know they're not going to get the touches um, and and have the impact in the midfield like obviously your stars like Dusty and um, and Nat Fife and Cripps and that sort of thing. But geez, I mean, you know, when you when you've got a player who who creates something out of nothing and can can basically. He's kicked 11 goals already this season, and um, he, he changes, he inspires the people around him. He's like a, you know, he's that Eddie Betts kind of figure, and he's only, what, 25 now. So I think, look, 850 is a bit of a stretch. I'd go, I'd go 750, yeah, 750 probably, 800. I mean, if, if you can if you can pen a good deal, I mean, he's definitely going to win games for you. So I don't, I don't mind that. I think 850 is a little bit of a stretch, but, geez, I'd do anything to get him at, at my club for sure. Last tweet of the day. This one is for the North fans from Nath Weller as well. Is Ben Brown just a one-trick pony? If he doesn't mark the footy, he's bloody useless. Uh, one-trick pony, maybe. He needs to get the, the ball delivered to him a lot better. Um, we've seen that he's not making an impact because of the the, the you know the, um, the connection from midfield to attack for North has been horrible. And especially of late, the last two weeks has, has been nothing short of disgraceful now you know jack zebel's not there ben cunnington's not there that hurts i know that but look when you you want you want ben brown even though he hasn't i mean there was a moment on the wing where he dropped a, an absolute sitter of a mark now everyone does that but it just proves that what he's not he's lacking confidence right he's in an incredible form slump he kicked six goals in seven games uh picked up eight possessions on the weekend i think he's averaging about seven over the last three weeks and he's had one score involvement on the weekend i mean it's it's not great from a leader or someone who is expected to be your X factor in that team. Um, I, I think it's time to stop believing in North. After winning their first two games of the season, we're like, yeah, here here, it, here they are, North. This is it. Ray Shaw, he's he's declared that they want to finish in the top eight. They're ready for it. This is it. But once again, when they're challenged, when they're really challenged North, they just don't win. They don't win those games you expect them to or that they're likely to. Now, Essendon are looking fantastic as well, but you would have thought that the Ruse would give a lot more than what they did. And I'm not just talking about intent and tackling and pressure around the footy. I'm talking about stepping up in big moments. Now, when when someone like Devin Smith comes out and he's like, it was a cheeky um, dig at North and he goes, you know, it's a it's a big rivalry for, for North Melbourne, but for us it's just, a, just another game. Now, North Melbourne hold this rivalry um, as their biggest and they always mark it in the calendar as uh, as a crucial game in in the season um, to build, I guess, momentum or team morale when you when you beat the arch enemy. But that's a slap in the face. Now you needed you needed that and other things to get you over the line on the weekend. They just didn't they didn't show enough for me. I didn't like it. Uh, hashtag the gym session. Get involved on Twitter. 
um, let me know what you want to talk about and give me any any of your opinions. Um, send the abuse my way. Frio is is a team that I'd I'd like to speak about. Now, why I'd like to speak about Frio is because you know Frio are like that kid that you know never wins anything at school or gets recognition, and you you know you've got his parents. Go, oh, well, why why are they talking about Jackson again in the newsletter? What about Willow who worked really hard? No, you know Willow didn't because he didn't win. Now. Um, yeah, that's another thing. Like, what about these participation medals these days? No, you've got to learn to win and you've got to learn to lose. I don't like it. But Frio are like that, right? They never get recognition. They always get pushed aside. They're never talked about. I don't know. I mean, Perth, they probably talked about a lot. Over here, they're not. But this weekend, they actually did something to deserve recognition. And they didn't get any. I mean, I looked at all the, the you know, round reviews and opinion pieces from the weekend, and there wasn't more than a couple of sentences. So I want to talk about Frio because... <laughs> like Frio, for me, w- recorded the best win of the season so far. I mean, they were down by six goals at quarter time, and they lost their ruckman. They lost Sean Darcy, who was probably their best to that point. They lost Hayden Young, had two down on the bench, and Nat Fife was playing on one leg. And they're playing St Kilda. They were up, like I said, by six goals, and uh, they were playing their very best footy at the time, and they were, they're dubbed a real contender, the Saints. Freo came back and, and beat them. They smashed them. They didn't smash them, but they, they kicked, what what was it, eight or eight goals in consecutively and ended up winning by, by six points. Um, it was fantastic. Now, the, the thing that, that made me laugh was this tweet. at uh, When they were down by six goals, there was a tweet from a Freo fan. I'll read it. Uh, this is dumb. Jail-, and I read it in this voice because this is like, that's the voice of like every footy fan in the background, you know, when you're at the game. And, like, everyone shouts, ball, and then there's one bloke at the back, that's holding the football. Like, you just got to add your two cents, and he always sounds like that. So, this is dumb. J-Lo has no idea what to do. Haven't seen us play with such lack of any sort of plan or structure for a long time. Hashtag forever freer. And then they go on and win. <laughs> they go on and come back, and they win. Um, that was brilliant. And apparently his wife... Um, sent a follow-up tweet and apologised to um, Justin Longmill for that. And, and J-Lo, to his credit, liked that tweet. It's a bit of humour, but geez, I mean, what a win. It was fantastic. And Matt Tabernar, who's extremely underrated, um, he had 20... He, he uh, No, he didn't have 26 touches. Michael Walters had 26 touches and eight clearances. But Tabernar, he had an impact. He's, he's still now... He's number one at the club for marks, contested marks and goals. And he's also the second highest on the tally for score involvement. And he's their, he's their go-to man in the forward line. And he's stepped up big time in big moments. And he's done it all season. Um, for me, he's been unlucky with injuries in the past. But Matt Tabernard, he's flown under the radar big time. And somebody who hasn't flown under the radar and who's been talked about all weekend, as they should be, is Isaac Rankin. Now, I know everyone gets sick of the talk of these new stars coming up, and he's the next big thing. Look out for this bloke. I've never seen a better first-game player in my life of watching football. And and just the way that he came in. I don't even care about the touches. You can put aside the three goals that he that he kicked. Now, there were three. I've never seen a better um, first three goals from any player. Um, but put that aside, just the way he, he entered the field, the way he took to his opponents, and there was a moment in the last quarter... Uh, where they were just looking for him in, in the goal square. They were looking for him one out. And he took a mark, and uh, I can't remember who who did it now. Oh, was it Hibbert? I think it was Hibbert. Um, gave him a, like a couple of punches in the ribs as he marked the ball, like just pretending to go for the ball. Now, younger players might have been intimidated 
by that or reacted or nothing. Didn't even didn't even acknowledge the fact that he that they were trying to get at him. He just got the ball. Yeah, I think he missed that shot, but he just his maturity there. And in those three goals, he read the ball like a hundred game player. He was fantastic. I've never seen a first gamer like that. Even more than Matty Rowell. Matty Rowell's a different position. He's a midfielder, but to be one out. Um, up forward, and you you were kind of expecting him to win the game off his own boot. Mate, he's fantastic. I love him. Now, I wanted to end off here, uh, and I'm going to end off with a Bruce Springsteen song because Rob Harding mentioned him, and it's his, his favourite singer. Um, and uh, I like a bit of Bruce Springsteen. So while I give my Zabos short things, we'll play a bit of Bruce Springsteen in the background. Okay, three things to look out for this weekend. Um, number one, first thing, people will complain about the commentators. Now, my tip is games will likely get better this week. So we're going to get some exciting contests looking at the games. There should be a few. So the next big thing people will complain about, because we love to complain on Twitter, will be the commentary. It's already already started. I get in a few. But whenever BT is commentating, um, you're going to get you're going to get the comments. I chuck it on mute. I'd rather I'd rather bloody listen to fingernails on a chalkboard than that bloke. All that stuff will come out. You watch for it. I promise you. Because I think the footy will improve this week. Second thing, this is literally uh, a no certainty weekend. But I mean, I'll, like, there's no certainties at all. But I mean, maybe the the Saints against Adelaide is, is kind of the closest. But in saying that, Ratten hasn't won away from Marvel. I'm going to go on a limb here. I'm going to say every team who are playing at their official home ground this weekend will lose. Okay, so that's GWS, Sydney, Freo, and Adelaide. That's my sure thing. Third and last, Jack Rewell, he'll kick four goals this weekend. Don't care, he will. Bloody legend. Come on, Jack. Thank you for joining me today on the podcast. Make sure you get involved by hashtagging the gym session. You can contact me at Sabo James on Twitter or email me at james.sabo at sportsmatemobile.com. Guys, I hope your team wins on the weekend, unless you're playing Richmond. Um, until next time, take care of yourselves. Hey.